0: good evening uh, in the first place thank you very much professor kumas for a nice introduction and indeed it is a uh, pleasure is very much on my side to come back to so to speak to my not my but the uh, institute i w- i form- formally worked with for actually quite a number of years quite a few years ago back in the 1990s are uh, in a very different context to come back here again for uh, this uh, presentation today. I'm very happy to be here. And at the same time, of course, I'm also very happy that uh, so many among you have uh, come here today to uh, attend this kind of presentation. When we talked about the topic up front, I wasn't quite sure whether this might be a little, you know, very special or too specific topic to attract uh, quite many people, but uh, it appears that actually uh, the overall topic of university industry interaction is uh, sufficiently interesting to um, various people with various backgrounds. All right now let me uh, so here we are um, as you can see, what I would like to talk about tonight is uh, the topic of university industry le- research collaborations. what exactly I mean by what i 'll talk about in a couple of minutes and uh, in three countries. And in fact, uh, it is related to culture as Professor Kuhlmas mentioned already. And in fact, uh, I'll need to be a little specific what kind of culture I'm talking about here because it's not about any kind of culture. Okay, just to give you a brief overview of what I'd like to uh, elaborate a little. First of all, explain a little bit about uh, this topic in general, University Industry Research Collaborations, or UICs. I'm not a particular fan of acronyms, but uh, because this is the actual topic today, I just abbreviated it. So explaining the overall topic, and then give you some background information about the general situation regarding this kind of, uh, uh, this type of collaboration in the three countries, Japan, United States, and South Korea, but I'll just say Korea from now on. And uh, then the main part actually will be about some findings from a relatively large research project I've been doing with a couple of colleagues. Um, since about five or six years ago, actually six years ago um, when we collected data on these UICs in these three countries in various ways. So I will, it will not be possible to talk about everything tonight, but, uh, but at least I would like to share some of the major uh, outcomes in a way that is hopefully not so difficult to understand. So I will not uh, throw a uh, very technical, highly academic specialized presentation on you, but rather try to explain in a way that is uh, uh, digestible, even if you're not an expert in this field. And finally also, of course, uh, you will not hear many strong statements from me tonight regarding what uh, our results actually mean because uh, the the topic is very complex and and difficult. So I think uh, even after six years of research, we're not in position to say people should do like this or they shouldn't do like that, but you know, certain things possibly can be said. So I'll talk about this a little bit toward the end. All right. Let me pull this off. I think this is more comfortable. Um, First of all, what are then UICs? That is of course a matter of definition. As we know, I think all of us have some awareness of this. There's actually a very broad range, a big variety of interaction between the corporate sector, between companies on the one hand, and universities or university researchers, or even students on the other hand. So sometimes this is just informal. Some company managers or our engineers They know a professor or some academics and then they informally exchange some views. That can be sometimes quite instrumental and and, uh, important and helpful. Sometimes, uh, this list by the way is non-exclusive. I mean, these things sometimes come up in all kinds of combinations. Sometimes it's a kind of consulting. So some professors actually do consulting for companies to help them with all kinds of technical or managerial matters. Uh, there's technology licensing so universities are if they are if they have research output and they have patents or something to offer they license without to companies. This uh, happens these days more often than you may think then of course there's uh, student related exchange student internships and then all kinds of training this uh, you know very broad phenomena sometimes also graduate students or doctoral students or even young researchers sometimes they go back and forth they work at companies to do something and then they come back to university vice versa and then I, I, I'm not even saying this is a full list I mean very if you think about it very hard you could think about more things but probably these are some of the main ways of interaction but then what I really would like to focus on tonight is this one. The UIC as a kind of clear-cut collaboration project between uh, at least one company and at least one university. With what kind of purpose? Well, with some kind of technical purpose. So it could be about the development of some new product or some new process, some new technology to um, produce some new product, or it can be sometimes really very much about basic research, not directly linked uh, straightforwardly to a product you can sell on the market. But anyway, this kind of technical collaboration. So that means we talk about actual projects and projects have a couple of features. They have a, at least in principle, a defined beginning and bec- defined end. So you're know, talking about a specific period of time, uh, companies and universities work together, and uh, we talk normally about a kind of formal agreement. there's not always a formal contract, but these days almost in in ninety nine percent of cases, so some kind of formal document is exchanged about intentions or what to do and then also typically this has a defined research budget, so a company and a university agreed to do some research on Whatever topic, for three years, with a budget of 500,000 dollars in this and this way, this would be a typical UIC. And this is the type of interaction I would like to talk about subsequently. Uh, for one reason that this is the main focus of our study, but also as uh, we believe that this is actually a kind of core of university industry interaction when it comes really to uh, deep interaction which has some implications for technological progress and both for companies and universities themselves. So why in the first place do UICs happen? Well, the simple response would be because uh, both from companies and universities viewpoint, this is a very attractive value proposition at least in principle. Let's first look at the company's viewpoint. Um, Companies, of course, often they have research or development departments, but uh, typically companies can do no or very limited basic research because it's too broad. It's not directly linked to their business. They simply cannot afford to do this. But uh, universities typically do more basic research, at least uh, as a tendency. So if you as a company would like to tap into these capabilities, a university is a perfect partner in a sense. It's uh, better than working with our other company. Then also undeniable, there is the cost matter. For companies, cost of course is important. And um, of course, you can also do a collaboration with, an diff- with another company. But experience tells us if you work with a university at the end of the day, at least in monetary terms, that means in terms of money you spend on the project it's cheaper to work with the university. One reason could be that simply university researchers are not as highly paid as uh, company researchers. Of course, they are professors, but most of the actual work often is done by people like research assistants, doctoral students, and so on. So, and uh, these people are, are not so highly paid. And then another main reason is often these projects, we'll talk about this uh, later on, a little further, are often supported by the government. They are government subsidies. So if there, even if there is a project budget of a million dollars, often, let's say, $500,000 out of this one million is supported by the government. So the company doesn't have to pay for this. That also helps. And then a more negatively defined reason. This is more about. Uh, reason why you sometimes prefer university of as a partner over another profit partner a company partner if you work with a company it's often tends to be messy for the reason that, well if a company could be your direct competitors or how you feel always very wary about how much knowledge you can really share with her. If these folks out there who are at the same time competing with you, you don't really want to share, but you agree to share. So this is very, uh very weird setup. But even if your company partner is not your competitor, let's say it's your supplier or your customer, then there is still a lot of genuine tension in the collaboration because uh, uh, you also have a business relationship and uh, you know it's not always that easy and peaceful. And, uh, Supplier, of course, wants to get higher price for supply items. Customer wants to drag down the price. So there are often conflicting interests. And you don't have all these things when you work with a, with a university. Of course, there can be other tensions, but uh, at least a, comp- uh, a university is a non-profit organization. So all the complications you have when you work with another company, they are not that much of a concern. So there are a variety of things why companies like or often they prefer to work with universities. What about university side? Where well, quite globally, university res- researchers are always scarce of funds to do their research. So they're very happy if they get some sund- funding to do some of their research or uh, you know, even application-oriented activities. And uh, this can be a major way actually to secure some very substantial funds. Then uh, beyond that where um, actually also depending on the field we are talking about the technological field uh, it is actually also genuinely attractive for the research or for the researcher to work with a so to speak downstream partner with a company which tries to take this our uh, research knowledge into practice wants to make a product out of it, eventually wants to make money out of it. Um, Of course, there is sometimes a discussion that academics shouldn't be dragged too much into this application-oriented field, they should uh, stick to their research. But actually, in certain fields, that uh, uh, that argument is not very meaningful. If you look at uh, various fields, for example, in engineering, the very application is an important part of your research. If you don't have the link and the access to the application, you cannot do often very, very much of a meaningful research. So, even for the genuine research of university researchers, sometimes working with a company partner is very good. Uh, yeah, and then, as mentioned already, often you can uh, provide training for your students, for your graduates, or of course, jobs at the same time. Eventually, often some of your Um, research assistants or PhD students who work in a project, often at the end uh, uh, of a project or even in between the project, they may change sides and then they get hired by the company because they're so smart and then they get hired. And uh, um, from a a university side, that is also a good thing. So um, genuinely, you may want to say, it's a really good value proposition. It's very attractive from both sides. you know. So both the manager and the professor, are they can clearly see the merit in this, and uh, both are happy, and everybody is happy. But of course, uh, things are not that easy. Otherwise, everybody would do this all the time. There are some subtle and some of them not so subtle problems in here. One is. One fundamental problem is that actually companies and universities, even if they collaborate, most of the time, will not always really want to do the same thing. There may be some overlap of their goals, but at the same time some difference. That is the backside of the coin I already talked about. Companies basically want to make money at the end of the day universities are non-profit organizations, meaning even individually most of the time people are not so much oriented towards this. What they primarily aim for is research output, Um, scientific papers, this kind of thing. And um, you know, there can be easily be conflicts when you have uh, this kind of different goals in a one concrete way in this you know where how this uh, comes out is also when you really collaborate and you are actually successful you get some output some meaningful technological output of a collaboration you develop a kind of new device or a new software program whatever then what to do with this typically the two partners have Totally different responses to this question. Um, University researchers, uh, what do they want to do? They want to talk about it. They want to publish it, right? So they want to show up, oh, we did a great research here, folks, yeah, yeah, I'm a good researcher. So I I show this off, so talk at conferences, presentations, publish in journals or books, and so on. What about the company side? often exactly want to do the opposite. So this is a nice thing, but uh, n- n- don't talk about it you know, un- un- until it comes out uh, on the market. We, don't, we really want to surprise our competitors. If everybody knows about it in advance, half of our competitive advantage may be gone because others already know what we are doing and copying us and so on. So just maybe just file for a patent, Quietly and otherwise, better don't talk about it, at least not for the next three years. It's a direct conflict here yeah, of interest that often comes out. And then, as uh, I believe most of us pretty much n- know, know pretty well, working styles are also uh, very different between these types of organizations. Are in companies, naturally, you want to make money eventually, so you're always in a hurry, there is competition. So you are sensitive about deadlines, working schedules. If the whole thing should finish this year, yes, let's really finalize this this year. I don't want to let it drag until next year. Then maybe our competitor already, you know, came up with a new product. We need to hurry. So the, the bottom line is very important for companies, really getting something out of it and timely, versus in contrast, well, I would say university researchers are quite relaxed about this kind of time schedule things. Yeah, so um, the priority is really doing excellent research, really finding something new that's publishable in journals. You can, you know, uh, you can be proud of, you can show up to your uh, scientific community but sometimes it may take five or 10 years to publish a paper, Never mind, It takes the time it takes. This is what a typical professor, research-oriented professor will say. So again, there's a direct conflict, yeah? And then that spells out also in, in, in many different things in the everyday working style. Managers want to go, 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 let's go. Let's do some, let, let's get the bottom line. Let's get something out. And until next week or until next month, yeah, I want to see the output next month. A professor or or PhD student could say, hey, wait a minute. We need to do this thoroughly. Otherwise, it's not worth the effort, yeah? Uh, And uh, many other things. So um, in terms of communication, often there's a huge gap even when you think you you say the same thing, you may say actually different, you may mean different things as a, um, as a manager uh, in a company, on the one hand, versus an academic university researcher on the other hand. And this is the cultural divide which I put into the title. So, what's the, the type of culture I'm referring you to is, in this uh, sense, not a national culture, uh, not an individual culture, but more kind of organizational culture. So, a company as a type of organization versus the university as a type of organization. Okay, and uh, the divide between companies and universities often is quite sharp, quite wide. Often. Company people will say it's impossible to work with these academics out, where they'll never respect deadlines, they're so sloppy, and they tell us about things we don't want to hear, and so on. Whereas a uh, professor may say, "Or oh, I, I cannot work with these people who always push us around," and he, you know, it's it's no good. So um, um, in reality, often you know, the very nice value proposition doesn't come out so nicely. So. Uh, the not so nice manager and not so nice professor may end up with both being quite unhappy with, uh, with outcomes and sometimes projects break down or they are terminated and nothing comes out. So that is the, the basic issue behind here. All right. Now let's uh, uh, move to the next part. Now I would like to give you a brief overview of what's actually happening regarding this kind of interaction or type of project in the three countries we are looking at. First, let's start with the biggest country, United States. Um, generally speaking, probably that's quite intuitive to most of you or what you would expect. Uh, there has been a lot of interaction going on between academics and industry people in the US. Pretty much since we're, well, at least early 20th century. Sometimes going back to the 19th century. There are a few factors which explain this. Uh, one is simply the scale or size effect. The, com- the, the country is so large, so uh, you find if you really want to work with a university somewhere in the big United States, there is a really high chance you'll find a good partner that you know exactly has what you are looking for and also in terms of orientation, very basic research-oriented versus more application-oriented. You have so rich diversity and and, and so many universities, and of course, companies also in the US, so that helps. And then from a mindset view, viewpoint of the mindset, I will also say compared with other countries, traditionally, even traditionally, our American academics have been relatively open to this kind of thing probably you want to say the US as a whole, is a relatively business-oriented country that helps in terms of mindset. So even university researchers, even in the you know, all, all days, often they didn't find it particularly awkward to work with a company on a kind of technological project if they found it interesting. Yeah. And then also, uh, as we know, for 100 years or so, US has been a technology and innovation leader in many fields. And that means many companies to stay on the top of a hill in terms of innovation power, innovation potential, they, uh, they really need to cultivate this. So they are very keen, more so maybe than in some other countries, really to tap into these basic research capabilities of the universities. They need to do basic research to stay competitive. Yeah, So... This, so since the old days, quite a lot has been going on in the US, but even more so since around 40 years ago, even the government got involved and uh, tried to make this even stronger. Our government support and legislation started to come up since the 1970s. There was a big competitiveness debate in the US. Since the 70s, there are many US Policymakers and industry people got very concerned about we are getting squeezed out by the Japanese and, and who else, you know, we, we are losing out out where in business, so we really need to do something to become more competitive. In this general context, policymakers made quite some effort to try to do something. So, particularly, the so called Beidol Act, these are, well, the two names of senators who have been the sponsors of this uh, bill in 1980, made a big change, though it was not the only one that basically granted the general right to patent, to to make, to file patents for inventions which come out of universities, which have been invented in universities. They granted to universities. This was not generally the case before 1980. Uh, The main effect was that universities, as not individual university researchers generally, not individual professors, but universities as institutions then they discovered this as a source of revenue. They found out, okay, if we uh, actually can, you know, file for and register patents out of these uh, collaborations, then we can uh, really make money with it. Often, we can license it out. Anyway, it's a good way to make money and also to set the bar higher. So, you know, companies who want to work with us maybe really have to. Fund as well, so more patenting, licensing, also more university spin-offs since before. Universities as a whole becoming a little bit more business-oriented than they have been since before. Yeah, Uh, so a little bit more genuinely, universities and non-profit organizations. A little bit of this came into play, you know, commercial interests from the university side. At the same time, due to competitive pressure in the last twenty years. Many even large US companies, they shut down their basic research labs. They say we cannot afford this anymore. That made them even more dependent on working with universities. Um, so many factors piling up here, explaining why a lot of you know, interaction is going on in the US all the way. Though there are some problems I'll talk about uh, a little later on. One thing just to mention, the whole Policy support was more on the legislative side, so this kind of legislation to give incentives. It's very much in the US or free market sense, you may want to say. Direct government subsidies like federal subsidies for this kind of collaboration they around, but they are not very important generally. There are some of these, but typically, there isn't much of a public subsidy in the US if companies and universities work together. So this is uh, the overview for the US now let's move to korea very different case um bluntly until 10 or 20 years ago in terms of this particular field very little has been happening in korea for various reasons first of all universities were not very well funded and rich oriented basically uh, teaching institutions they didn't have much money to do a lot of uh, genuine research, most of them. Um, then also companies, as you know, Korea is a newly industrialized economy. Until 10, 20 years ago, uh, most Korean companies, even the very good ones, were still catching up with the best companies from the US, from Europe, from Japan. So it's not just simply copying, but it's more catching up. So meaning you focus naturally on what is already around and try... To make a little bit you know, like a very good Japanese product, you try to do a, a slightly improved version of this. So you don't really need to invest that much into basic research in this kind of situation. So companies were not very keen on this. And also, anyway, they thought our universities in Korea, I mean, they are no match. We we, we cannot use them. And uh, until the 90s, also public policy pretty much ignored. This it was not a priority. So there wasn't much of a technology transfer office in universities and so on. But then, as so often in Korea, things change. And when they change, they change very quickly. The thing started after the Asian financial crisis post-1997. Then the government found out, okay, we really need to grade up our innovation system and research infrastructure. And one good way is actually to promote these uh, collaborations. So they suddenly started a big effort and spending splurge actually also to to, uh, enable universities to set up technology transfer centers this kind of infrastructure that supports their collaboration. And then also, I know this quite well because uh, I'm working in this country now for, for a while as an academic, university uh, research budgets, they have uh, tripled, incru- increased by three times over 10 years, just to give you a feeling. Just you know, Not all universities, but the good universities or the first two universities, pretty much suddenly in Korea became very research-oriented. They want to do serious research and they also have money now. Yeah, and companies as well. I mean, companies like Samsung, LG, and some others, some smaller ones also, they are on the top of the hill now. They, They have a huge market share, global market share. They can no more look at Japanese, what they are doing, or the Americans. They need to also do the basic research. So their interest is much higher now to do this also from the companies. So pretty much suddenly the thing took off about 10 years ago. Um, but as it came from almost zero, means the networks between companies and universities or more specifically between professors and managers are the specific w- networks really to work together where are still very weak. You know, you cannot develop this kind of thing overnight. Our networks grow over years and over decades. So this is increasing, but the networks as such are still relatively weak, much weaker than in the United States for sure. Okay, so that was about Korea before I talked about the US, and now just uh, uh, out of curiosity, now as you can easily guess next, I will talk about Japan. Anybody among you has a guess or idea what would be roughly the situation in Japan compared with US or Korea? Would you say it's more similar or roughly like the US or is more similar to Korea or totally different? Anybody has a assessment? So it's not a test. I'm just wondering. Yes, please. right Right in the middle. That's a, that's a good response, yeah, and it's not so far off. But anyway, anybody else has some, some different idea, maybe? Yes. Way below both of them. Both of them. <laughs> All right. So you're very, <laughs> you're very negative on the situation in Japan. <laughs> All right. Let me. Uh, show you my assessment. It really depends on what you focus on. So in that sense, the right in the middle, what you mentioned is not so really off the line, but I would say put everything together, it's surprisingly close to the US or closer to the US for sure than to Korea. Not regarding all aspects, but regarding many important aspects. To start with that many people don't know Japan opened up in around 1868, you know that, and started introducing capitalism and industrializing. And at the same time, when modern companies were built up, also the first universities were built up. At that time, imperial universities, and really funded by the government. And uh, at that time, you know, it was quite, uh, should I say normal, but frequent, that these people work together. Uh, the university uh, researchers, academics, and the company people often have quite strong links. And we've they we've been working together in uh, industrializing the country and, and, and improving the, and, and, and developing the technology for, depending on how you count, 60, 80 years. That uh, definitely contributed, actually, to Japan's very successful technological se- uh, 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 catch up since the Meiji Restoration to the early or mid 20th century. Then, however, there was a fall off. Well, as for so many things, it was World War II or more the aftermath of World War II, I would say. Um, One thing was, well, universities worked with companies and thereby inevitably also during the war with the military, on sometimes not so nice developments, technical, uh, you know research. So there was a general perception after the war: now we really should stay out of these things from now on. And the safe way to do this: don't work further with the corporate sector. And there were student movements in the 1960s, which reinforced this. You know, the, you know everybody who is working with the, these people out there is not really a worthwhile academic, and so on. So the networks weakened. But the point is they were around since before, and uh, these things, unless by sheer force, they are not disappearing, they are not abandoned. So informally, these things often survived. Formally, there were very few projects in the 50s, 60s, 70s due to these factors. This was not something that was really welcomed in the public discourse in Japan, but uh, still many professors and managers and and, and, uh, company engineers, they knew each other and often quite quietly, but you know, still they worked toge- kept working together. And then there was uh, a second big change since the, I would say 1980s, but particularly 1990s. when public policy again discovered this as a beneficial thing. So the public discourse changed again. And some among you know about this, uh, legislation and uh, s- since the 1990s, the science and technology basic law, or basic plans, um, which of course contain lots of other things. But one of the priorities set up there was actually really uh, encourage this kind of collaboration more and, and more explicitly again. So it's now easier for professors also to work with companies yeah, and more public funds are available and all these technology transfer centers have been set up actually a little earlier than in korea so uh, you know more openly again quite a lot is going on there maybe a little less than in the us depending on how you look at or which field you look at but actually it's uh, quite it's quite vibrant yeah if you if you have a look at the situation on the ground well one thing uh, i just want to mention briefly is um Most of these projects in Japan are between public universities and uh, tend to be large companies, not all large companies, but a high uh, proportion of large companies, possibly because these networks go back here and here. The companies and universities which have been working together since a long time, so kind of established networks, where smaller companies and private universities, smaller universities, you see a little less. All right, so that's about the overall situation. Now, for the remainder, this will go a little quicker because I just show you some data and numbers. But just um, actually, it's impossible to uh, share all of our results of our research here today. But I just want to share something about one main part of our project. Among other things, we did a pretty large-scale service of companies regarding these projects. Um, So just uh, for your reference, we also, of course, surveyed universities and we did matched observations of companies and universities, but uh, matching these. And you have smaller samples and uh, so some limitations. So this is really a pretty large scale. So we identified three fields. Not the only ones which are relevant, but we could easily find out. Okay, microelectronics, software, and biotech are three industries or scientific fields where a lot of these things, a lot of these projects are, are taking place. Very intensive. And then basically, so to speak, we contacted all companies we could get hold of in the three countries, in these three fields with uh, more than 10 employees, very tiny companies we we excluded. But then we really started with very thick company directories in these three fields, and phoned all these companies, asking them in the first place, did you do in the last couple of years something with the university, this kind of project? And of course, majority said no. It's not a kind of thing all the companies are doing, particularly not the smaller ones. So we started in total maybe in the three countries combined with 20,000 companies we, we surveyed. And then we found out uh, something like 2,000, 3,000 out of these 20,000 did this kind of project recently with the university. And out of these 2,500 probably, 750 gave us a full response. What you need to know is we really tormented them with a very detailed and long survey, uh, which drives down the response rate is always uh, um, a trade-off there, but we were more interested in the details than trying to get even, you know, 500 more response. And it's in all the three, pretty much even among the three fields, and uh, also among the countries. In the U.S., a little fewer, of course, uh, so surprising because it's the largest country, but simply because the U.S. companies were most reluctant to. Um, Give us responses about this. They have often a high degree of secrecy, so they don't want to share with anybody. But still, a you know are a fairly large sample to do some analysis. So just to give you an idea, what are the typical profiles of partners here? Uh, particularly here for the companies. Um, on average, of course, is this is the median, so it's number fifty out of you know zero to 100, uh, these are not huge companies, but still in the US and in Japan, kind of medium-sized, like 50 employees. In Korea, much smaller. And uh, in the US, you can see the R&D workforce by, uh, by far is highest on average. You can see US companies doing this are more research oriented, or they have more research re- capabilities, resources than Japanese and Korean companies. Just to give you a feeling about this, yeah? In the um, Korean context, uh, one reason for this, you see so many small companies here doing this, is um, actually the governmental policy to support this is partially modeled to help small and medium-sized companies. So because often they feel very, really squeezed out by the large business groups and anyway, they should uh, increase their technological capabilities. So, uh, often the government implicitly wants, does this kind of policy also to help small companies with doing something. If they cannot afford their own research department, at least give them money to do something with a university. This is basically the idea. Um, then, Also to give you an idea, of course, not all these projects are between exactly one company and one university. Many of them have multiple partners. So you see the average number of partners here um, for all these projects, companies and universities. And then there are also public research institutes often as uh, partners involved, not that, that often as these two, but sometimes. In Japan, sometimes you don't talk about sangaku but about sangaku kan So this is the kan, yeah, the public research, public institute uh, partner, which are, by the way, also most frequently involved. Um, you can also see here, this is interesting, at least as a tendency, on average, the number of partners in these projects in Japan is the highest. This is what we generally observed. Also in case studies, we did many things. In Japan, more so than the US and much more so than in Korea, we often try to build this kind of consortium. It's a, probably a typical Japanese way. So if we do this anyway, let's get everybody involved. Yeah. Three companies and five universities and two institutes sometimes, and, and even more. Of course, not always. Yeah. So this multi-party collaboration. Of course, that doesn't mean all the partners often get deeply involved, but at least many of them are involved. But what we also found out uh, by studying deeper and also doing case studies, even if you have multiple partners, in most cases, in essence, most of the interaction, what's really going on, what's really happening on the ground, is between one company and one university. Our partners are more kind of... Our adjunct partners, which do a little bit, you know, support whatever, but uh, it's uh, not that important. This is also why, for the main part of our study, we ask the companies and universities also please tell us about the uh, project and your relationship with, with the main company partner, main university partner, with the most important partner. Here, that also gives your feeling about what the it's a typical project. It lasts for three, two, two to three years. In Korea, a little shorter. And the public subsidies as a percentage of uh, your overall project budget, here you can clearly see the quite big difference. In Korea, it's heavily subsidized. Uh, frankly, in Korea, if you don't subsidize, often companies wouldn't do this. Because they uh, feel often with smaller companies, we don't have the money, we cannot pay. The university researchers to do this, at least not all of it. If it comes from the government, okay, we can possibly do this. In the U.S., it's lowest. So companies and universities they know each other quite well, so they do this if they think it's a, there's some merit in it. And then often they don't even want the federal funds because there may be some strings attached to it. You have to do it like this and like that with the patents. No, we don't want this. We want to do it our own way. And Japan is also well is compared with Korea on the low side. So there are subsidies, but they are not that high, at least not on average. One thing you may be curious at, how do these collaborations come off the ground? You talk about concrete projects. And what you can clearly see here is, actually in all three countries, the personal network, in this case of company managers, and company engineers is most important so from here on i show you a couple of uh, results on perceptions which range range from uh, scales from one to seven okay so one is lowest and seven is highest and these are the average values and so you can clearly see in all three countries um the personal networks are most important on average to uh, to get this kind of thing started and um, other things sometimes also are uh, fairly important. In general, you can see transfer centers and university partners quite active in Japan, counterintuitive probably, uh, particularly university partners. We also found this in the case study. Quite many professors quite, I wouldn't say aggressive, but active in trying to find some company they can do something with these days. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the U.S., relatively the second most important are actually academic publications. It is quite anonymous, but companies are so focused; they really look in their field in the leading scientific journals. Oh, this guy—he has published five papers in this journal, and exactly on the thing we want to do. He is a leading researcher, so we want to do a project with this guy. Yeah. This is uh, how it comes off the ground. It's it's stronger than in Japan or Korea, this kind of signaling effect. In Japan, transfer transfer centers at universities, but as well as uh, chambers of commerce and so on, quite important. They are often the matchmakers or intermediaries. We found this also in the case studies which bring companies and universities together if they don't have a personal network also. brokers often actually quite powerful because they know about both sides and often they also know about some funding from the government and then they put together the people they think you know they should be, be, be put together. All right now the next thing is um, how to build a relationship, a working relationship in this case of course. Because one thing is clear This is about technological collaboration, so you cannot deal with this like uh, buying, uh, you know, five buns in the bakery or something very straightforward and simple. So you really need to work intensively and you need to to find a common language and a way how to interact. And uh, of course, the easiest way to build a relationship is if you have one already. If you know the company or university, or if actually you know the professor, you know the manager, you know the engineer on the other side. You had done something before, either this kind of project or more generally, you know, you are just sometimes personal friends. Uh, There are all kinds of patterns, but anyway, direct ties since before are the easiest starting point. But sometimes, um, of course, you don't have that luxury you simply don't know the people you want to collaborate with. Then that sometimes uh, something that uh, helps this uh, reputation has two meanings. One is, uh, well, like in Japan we know that, for example, Todai should be a good university, or, or, or Keio, or Keo or Kyodai, yeah? Depending on the field, there are some differences. But in your own field, you will know what are the leading universities in the other countries as well. So uh, you, you naturally look at researchers in these leading universities and try to make a contact, and you're more confident that these people know what they are doing and they can add value. The other meaning of reputation is reputation in your personal network. You may not know your partner, but you may know people they know. Okay, So in other words, your friend from another company or whoever may tell you, hey, you want to do this kind of thing? I know these folks out there at this university and they are really good. I'll bring it together. And I, 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 I tell you these are really good and they, you know, they won't let you down. So uh, this comes off as a kind of substitute if you don't have direct links already. Thirdly. If you never know know somebody, nor you know somebody who knows, well, the final thing you can do is, of course, write a contract, okay? Uh, There needs to be some starting point, as I showed you on the previous slide, to do something. But then let's sit together and make some commitment. Okay, we will do this in the next three years, and we will fund so-and-so, and and we do this and this, and at the end of a project, we will want to have this kind of um, outcome. And the patents and so on, we deal like this and like this. So um, now you can see that uh, ties are are most highly rated in the US, little lower Japan. These these differences don't look dramatic, but we have huge numbers here. It's actually statistically significant and weakest in Korea, as you would expect, because in Korea, often the companies simply don't have networks. And then partner reputation is very strong in the US. Again, as we found out, the main reason is they're they are very mature and professional, so they only want to work with those universities. They think and those researchers, they think they're really top-notch. Otherwise, they don't even touch this. Yeah. This is uh, why it comes out so highly in the US. And then um, contracts, yeah. Um, Actually, also highest in the U.S., which is uh, more, I would, clearly more contract-oriented society, regardless of whatever networks, than uh, the Asian countries, maybe not so surprising. Okay, once you start it, then what do you do to get the relationship going and to build it up and to make it a real success? Then you work together over three years or whatever, yeah, and uh, ongoing. There are many factors, but I just show you a few here. One is, of course, the quality of communication. Do you talk frequently to each other, reliably, and is it the rich content—not just hello and goodbye, but really talking about the things your partner wants to know? Yeah. Uh, this is higher in the U.S. and in Japan, and, and, and U.S. and Japan than in Korea. Not surprisingly, because um, the US and Japanese uh, companies, they are, should I say, more used to it or more professional in dealing with universities, university partners. There's also a learning core for often in these things. Korean companies often they, we, l- we learned about this, do this for the first time. So often they don't really know how to, how to deal with a professor in this kind of, of uh, relationship. And then another thing you may find a little curious, what is this champion behavior? It's not about uh, Sakura Sumo Champions, for sure. Uh, This is about a totally different champion. There's actually some debate about this in the literature on innovation management. What are champions here? Champions are those people, to put it in very simple words, who push very hard to um, make make a project happen and make it a success. And they need, and there are three components behind there. They need power, they need to tell people, let's just do it, and I have the leverage to throw in the money from our side, whatever, and tell people, you just do it. Then they need to have the knowledge, they need to have a technical understanding hey, with this university, we can work together, there is a point in it. Okay, so uh, the, the power, the knowledge, and the communication skills which is partially overlapping with that. so really persuade everybody let's do this yeah? don't, don't say it doesn't it, it's not possible this is very important we found out also in our um, case studies because again when companies and universities work together this is sometimes awkward you don't feel like these people understand what you are saying and vice versa you, you're on different planets sometimes so some, often, you know, at one point, both sides will say, oh, that's too much. Let, let's just, let's just uh, finalize this. I don't want to do this any further. Then if there is somebody who says, hey, hey, let's keep going. We, we can do this. This is so important. Actually, in our case studies in three countries, we, we, we barely found a project where there was not a strong champion. Sometimes a manager, sometimes a professor, sometimes even both. And you see in the U.S., this is... Very strong, very important, um, interestingly. And even in Korea, this is actually quite high, more so than in Japan. Here you can actually also see in Korea, you have, um, comparing the two Asian countries, you have on one hand, a relatively more individualistic culture, and on the other hand, a high power distance culture. So you see from the back door, I bring now a few uh, features of national culture anyway into play. Meaning in Korea, if a boss is saying something should be done, you know you just have to do it. It's still pretty much like that. in Japan, yeah, you know uh, there's some way sometimes you may argue with him. and uh, also in Japan, more so in Korea, is my personal observation. I lived in both countries for quite many years. It's quite a difference. Koreans sometimes, by Asian standards, are pretty much on their own. they have you know. Individual people have a strong mindset and they want to do something. Japan is more mutual accommodation. Okay, let's everybody get this together and, and no, nobody should really stick out. So the Japanese don't really like this kind of thing. And sometimes we had a hard time explaining what we mean by these champions. But in, the Koreans understood very quite well and we could see they're very uh, powerful. Okay, trust is highest in Japan which is not a surprise. It's a high-trust society. Korea is, you know, I'm just citing Francis Fukuyama. Um, it's a low-trust society in the sense you don't easily trust people you don't know very well, like in your family or your friends. And the uh, U.S. is also actually much lower than Japan. Knowledge acquisition, we don't know exactly why, how this comes out, why the American companies are so negative about the knowledge they have acquired, like... A new product or new technology we have learned about from the university project. Maybe it's because they had very uh, high expectations. But when it comes to overall assessment, what was, how was the project? Are you happy with it compared with your expectations? Was it good? Was it on time? Do you want to do another project with this university and so on? You can actually see Americans are the happiest probably because they are most professional followed by um, <laughs> Japanese and Koreans. So you see clearly the experience curve comes out here. I'm running out of time, so let me try to be brief. This is not about the slides I've been showing you. We did some more technical and deeper statistical analysis of all these factors and how they come together and the case studies. So what is really important for outcomes? Well, all these behavioral factors are very important. And in all three countries, the ties, the reputation, the communication, the champion behavior and the trust, all very important. You may say this is not surprising, but most people until now studying this topic out there, there are have a different viewpoint technology transfer people. They look more at overall clusters and how close the university and the companies and this kind of thing. We found these things not so, so relevant. But these things, they def- determine pretty much whether it works or not. And contracts. Are not totally unimportant, but much less important than all these things and uh, now comparing the differences between the comparing the, uh, the countries, we found again Japan and u s pretty much the same regarding what is important. You can again see the structural similarity very mature and dense networks, in a sense, between companies and universities. Korea is not. Here, the champion behavior and your reputation are more important than our two countries very strongly. Why the reputation? Because often, you don't have a direct tie, so you need to rely on somebody or some indirect hint yeah, to, to get it done. And then the champions I already told you in Korea are a powerful person, Standing there and say, let's do this, is uh, very important. So, we could uh, make some good sense out of this. Okay, let me summarize what we found on some, some of the things in the three countries. Some of I, I've shown you, but there are others also, more in other, other, our other research. So, overall, very good situation in the U.S. This is very developed, mature. One problem we found, however, and an important problem where due to this um, empowerment, legal empowerment of the university side, not the professors, but the universities as institutions and the technology transfer offices, they sometimes become very strong excessive demands. If you want to do a project with, our, with us, you need to sign a contract like this, and you need to give us all the money, and we keep all the patents, and, and we publish whatever we want you know, in this way. And if you don't want it, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine, you, you, you work with somebody else. So, uh, and, and, and so much insist on contractual are provisions, which is not helpful. So, we learned two things. One is, uh, often come the, the actual professor and the manager working on this sometimes they they do this secretly they don't tell the university technology transfer office to get something done because if these people get involved they will talk about contracts again and make very complicated so sometimes they, they minimize communication with them and do the real interaction among themselves second is some U.S. companies got so upset and frustrated with dealing with universities, they even go to non-U.S. good universities, foreign universities, to do this kind of thing. So it's not all paradise there, though overall it's, it's a good situation. In Korea, they come from very low point, and it's building up. Gradually, steadily, but of course, there's still some gap. Of course, if you do this the first time, you don't do it as professionally as uh, somebody who did this already for decades, both as an individual and as a company. Uh, but the general situa- the general assessment is, this, uh, is positively received. One problem is uh, from a policy viewpoint, because they are splashing out so much money, they're throwing so much money on them, this kind of thing. Sometimes, of course, we have free riding effects. So some companies take the money, but they would, would have done this anyway, or uh, they, they work on projects that don't have a lot of sense. So they probably need to become a little stricter or more efficient. Here. Thirdly, in Japan, maybe a little surprising to some of you, or overall, not just mine, also of my colleagues, assessment is quite positive. There are good networks and there's a high trust culture that really helps in this kind of context, maybe even more so than between companies to bridge this cultural divide. So it's good. And there's not so much money splashed out there. Yeah. Support systems overall is quite uh, well developed. However, again, kind of two problems. First is transparency. There are some programs here and there but often you know, the companies who should know about it, they don't know about it. And then there is some guy in the transfer office or in the what, what is it? In the business uh, association, and he he shuffles this kind of information to his buddies, tell them, hey, you know, there is something out there. Why don't you apply? Then you get an, uh, get a nice uh, project in there, and you don't have to pay for it. Other companies who should get a chance, sometimes we don't know about it. So I think they should. Tr- the government agencies should try a little harder to make this more transparent and another thing maybe not so surprising many uh, people uh, complained about too much paperwork yeah more so than in the other two countries so really the the final one i really try to don't want to make you know too strong assessments but overall uh i would say for both companies and university researchers to to make this thing happen. And this is across the countries. Yeah, this is all across the countries. Meaning um, really focusing on the relationship building of the working relationship, on uh, good communication, on, some, uh, on having a champion who is really pushing, on building trust, this is very important. It's mu- much more, m- more, more important than the contract or, or other kinds of things. We also often find universities and, and companies really very remote from each other on the other side of the country having a very good project. It doesn't help always that you are next door to each other. It it doesn't harm either, but anyway, it's not so important. So this is the main thing here. You want to do this from a micro perspective. From a policy perspective, our overall uh, assessment is, of course, this thing is worthwhile supporting. It helps a lot in many ways for car partners, but also for the economy. And um, however, transparency and efficiency of the support system is very important. It's, it's hard to do, but anyway. And our very final thing, well, some people may not like this. Benchmarking about you know, countries which are totally different is not helpful. Um, so, you know, like US and Korea, they're so totally different it doesn't it, it's not quite helpful if you us would say let's do it like the koreans or vice versa or even the japanese systems across countries are, are, are so different so should be careful with benchmarking uh it's not all right outright impossible but you need to be very careful not to to to, to make sure you're not uh, coming up with the wrong conclusions most of our stuff is still, we are still working on and trying to persuade journal reviewers and so on to accept it. But there is one paper out there which is probably also relatively easy to read. It's not so technical, uh, which is about this kind of thing in Japan and Korea only. So I just keep it on here. And if anybody among you has further interest in this topic, and thank you very much.